And there was a lot of questions from the audience and the engineer kind of stopped uh, and he said, you know, there's one thing that you guys should understand about the basic nature of the algorithm. Before anything else, it's going to make sure that it spends your money. Once it meets that, it will see if it can meet any other goals. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we talk about how to use mobile user acquisition strategies to grow your app quickly and capital efficiently. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, mobile growth leader and founder and CEO of the mobile growth consulting firm, Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile user acquisition that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital efficient manner. Our guest today is Warren Woodward, co-founder and chief growth officer at Uptick. In 2010, Warren quit his day job in the film industry to go full-time into building a one-man performance marketing agency, quickly pivoting to mobile around the dawn of the app store. He has since built marketing divisions and launched massive apps for companies like Nexon, Wargaming, and Blastworks. In 2019, Warren co-founded Uptick, a company focused on providing growth services and growth automation technology to app developers. I'm excited for this interview because Warren describes a solution to a significant pain point for marketers, how to optimize the performance on rewarded video networks where there are thousands of source apps to pick from. Today, I'm trying to explore the elegant and effective approach to cut through this complexity that Warren describes. I'm very excited to welcome Warren Woodward to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Warren, welcome to the show. Hey, Shmat. Very good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you because certainly we've been in similar circles for a long time and very many people I know and respect speak very, very highly of you. And, uh, you know, de- definitely when I last spoke to you, your very unique and interesting approach to UA definitely stood out. Definitely there's many aspects of that, that I would love to dive into on today's call. And today we're going to talk about your approach that you called build your own algorithm. Uh, and, uh, to start off, you were inspired to adopt this approach because of something you heard in an interaction with an engineer at a big ad tech company without disclosing too much about the company per se. Tell us about this experience and what realization you had after you had this particular experience. Yeah, for sure. So anecdotally, uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, UA professionals had similar experience of you know, using a, an algorithm provided by a network that's like, oh, you know, ad network X has their, their ROAS algorithm and you try it and it just doesn't work for whatever reason. So there's kind of the sense of like, okay, well, is it me or is it them? Um, but, uh, things really sort of solidified for me and kind of doubled down on, on this set of beliefs. There was a UA industry, uh, meeting where there was, they had brought out the engineering team that had designed one of the algorithms for one of, let's just say one of the two major uh, media platforms. And there was a lot of questions from the audience and the engineer kind of stopped uh, and he said, you know, there's one thing that you guys should understand about the basic nature of the algorithm before anything else, it's going to make sure that it spends your money. 
once it meets that, it will see if it can meet any other goals. But that's its utmost priority at the end of the day is to maximize the value of the inventory sold by the network, which, I mean, makes a lot of business sense on their end. But it kind of rang a bell for me that, like, you know, this is clear. This this creates a clear uh, divide of sort of whose interest the algorithm is acting in and kind of reinforces why any savvy media buyer needs to make sure that they are owning as much of that as they can. Yeah. And even though they are performance driven platforms, at the end of the day, at some level, your incentives aren't 100% aligned with theirs. You know, and in hindsight, it all makes sense, but a lot of us assume that these platforms are acting on uh, in our best interests, uh, which isn't strictly always the case. Yeah, I was just going to say to kind of like paint a picture of how you should think about these algorithms working, particularly by the big players. Um, say that you have, let's make an extreme situation where there is only one buyer for your product. And say that you have a budget of $10 in the cam, in, you run the exact same scenario. In scenario one, you have a $10 budget. Scenario two, you have a $10,000 budget. So in scenario one, uh, the campaign runs. It knows there's one likely buyer. The algorithm is very smart and identifies that buyer. And you say, hey, I spent my $10 budget. I got my optimal outcome. Great. This is working excellent. Um, in scenario number two, you've got a $10,000 budget. Same situation. There's only one potential buyer. Uh, the algorithm quickly acquires that buyer for you, and then it just spends the rest of your money on sort of the next mm-hmm. least bad pool of inventory going on down the waterfall until it assures that it has spent all $10,000. Right, and that also makes sense just structurally how the algorithm is designed to work. And then maybe if it knows that the one buyer is somewhere in the pool, probably spend the other $9,999 first, and then come to the buyer and just say, oh, this is your total CPA. And, you know, certainly the approach you advocate and you've adopted has been when you just say, look, considering the algorithms aren't necessarily on our side, let's just build our own algorithm. Let's take matters into our own hands. What channels did you pick to build your algorithm on? And we'll certainly talk about what the algorithm is, how you might build it. But what channels did you pick? And why did you pick these channels? Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe it's worth quickly touching on like where you can have less effect with this, which are the major players in the space, your Facebooks, your Googles, uh, et cetera, where it's a rather opaque system. You don't have a lot of control. You do have to trust their algorithm. And in that case, I say it's more of like, I always joke, it's kind of like animal husbandry, like horse, horse whispering, where you just have to kind of learn how the algorithm works what inputs to give it and and what that's going to produce back. In, in a way, it's very unscientific. Um, but there's a lot of pools of inventory that we just say are much more dumb. There's a lot that you can still buy in a fully manual way. Uh, and for us, like the obvious place to start these explorations of building our own system was the rewarded video networks. Um, this is like your Unity, IronSource, uh, AppLove, and Bungle, et cetera. And the reason that we wanted to try to build an approach for these is a couple things. They're, they're all kind of the same at the end of the day. So you can take one strategy and uh, port it to the rest. And there's also a lot of transparency, and you have, can do a lot of micromanagement. Um, you can bid for each app in those networks on an individual basis. So the combination of scale and accessibility meant that this is where we want to start our explorations. And I guess the last factor was there was not a – lot of really proven uh, existing tools for this. Right. 
and because this is almost like an open market, right, and there isn't a lot of optimization already happening, certainly yeah. makes sense that that's where you want to start, right? And when you say build your own algorithm, what is the general approach? What are some of the rules that you would set up on these pools of inventory with the rewarded video networks? Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's a few different approaches you can take here. There's There are a few players that are doing really interesting work in the space. Um, one company that I do like uh, is a company called BubbleEye, um, and they're mm-hmm. doing a very like ML-based approach to buying on these sources, mm-hmm. and uh, it can work pretty well. Um, we wanted to make something that was a little more bread and butter that could take kind of past learnings and implement them on future campaigns. So uh, as you alluded to, we, we built a system based off of rules. So just coding like some simple logic for how you bid for individual placements on network um, and then uh, building a script to run that logic uh, perpetually um, to optimize your campaigns without using human oversight. So really what we are trying to do is like, Take a, a really great UI manager's day-to-day work, codify it into a set of rules, and then uh, build scripts to run those rules. What might some of these rules be? Some of the other examples you can think of. Yeah. I mean, the one that probably everyone will get is, you know, ROI or, or ROAS-based rules. So, you know, looking at all of the individual placements on a network, um, looking at the value of the uh, users that are coming from those individual basements and using that to make uh, judgments on the appropriate bid and the expected lifetime value of different subsegments. Right. Um, another one that probably is universal to all apps, and I should probably clarify, when we started this, we intentionally wanted to build really basic rules that you could apply to any app that weren't specific to, like, you know, gaming only or, or a particular product. So retention is another really common one that you can easily build rules around, like your day one retention Day two retention can be very early signals. Um, another one is like onboarding events, like he uh, uh, completing a tutorial uh, in a game or completing a, a free registration. Another mm-hmm. uh, in a subscription app, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, certainly, it makes sense that you know you can uh, build these tools around ROAS or retention or onboarding events. That all makes sense. Now, many of these channels have thousands, tens of thousands more number of publishers and apps. And oftentimes you can just have like a handful of purchases. Like I've worked on campaigns where you just see, oh, 200% ROAS and there's just one guy buying right. like $500 of IAPs, right? So how do you account for some of these outliers or how do you solve for statistical significance in building some of these rules? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's definitely an area where, in my career, you know, I've lost my share of money, like learning the hard way um, about uh, how to deal with that problem. Um, one interesting study that that uh, one of my teams did a while back, while researching this area, was look at where in the networks we were losing money, um, because we knew that you know we were doing our optimizations, we could see you know where there was significant sample size, we could say, okay, cool, this is the right bid for this publisher, this is the right one for this one. And we saw that we're actually just losing most of our money in that vast ocean of publishers that we didn't have enough data to make decisions on. If you're losing so much money in the long tail, it it doesn't necessarily matter what profit you're driving out of the the top publishers because it can be drowned out at the end of the day because of the scale of the long tail in some of these networks. So there's a few ways that you can approach it and that we do in our own logic. Um, One is just thinking about a system of, like, exploration versus um, 
you know, refinement. So when you start buying in a source, you have an exploratory bid. And then uh, as you get data on individual placements, you move towards having a bid by placement. And you can set rules to develop when it moves from one to the other and using a system of weighted averages. So it's like, say that in a given app, you want a sample size of 100 before you completely trust the data uh, from, from that placement. You would say, like, as you move on the spectrum from one install to 100, uh, you can you know, move your bid from the default bid for exploration to the proper bid for uh, that app. Um, another way that you can potentially approach this is also think about using the hierarchy of campaigns to your advantage. So you can say, uh, you know, if we've got enough data at the, the smallest level of granularity at that sub-publisher level, make the decision based on that data. If that data is too light, go up one level to maybe where you're using a geo-based assumption. And if that's too light, then maybe go up one level further to like your, you know, your cluster of networks or sorry, your cluster of geos uh, for a certain bid. Yeah. And you can use that same system of weighted averages there. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you guys were losing money, not on bad publishers because you clearly blocked those out, but you were right. losing money on publishers where you just didn't have enough data and it was just inconclusive. Right. And I also realize it's kind of crazy that on a lot of the networks, the exploratory bid is the same as your baseline bid. So you're basically saying, look, these are somewhat proven pockets of inventory. I'll bid X. This is somewhat exploratory. We'll bid the exact same thing. Right. Right. And which doesn't make sense and sounds like what you're doing is turning that logic on its head and saying, let's treat proven bids as sort of proven publisher inventory as separate from exploratory inventory and just treat exploratory almost like test budget. That's correct. That makes sense. And, you know, that certainly explains why a lot of your approaches can be very effective. And, you know, for building out some of these algorithms, I imagine you would require some sort of engineering and data science resources. So for a marketer that's looking to build out an algorithm like this, what sort of resources should they look to acquire uh, on their team? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that's something I really like to stress. You know, like uh, obviously our, our company up to provide services like this for developers, but you don't necessarily need to be dependent on a third party to do this. You can always look at, you can do a lot with a little. Um, I'm a big believer in like 80-20 situations, like finding that 20% of work that gives you 80% of value. And it's definitely the case when it comes to like building simple uh, automation systems for optimization. So you can have a lot of value by simply building, you know, building a set of rules that you can enact via a spreadsheet even. Um, and the way that you should consider starting this uh, is to just like try to write out your process of how you do optimizations. A lot of times people will find that they actually do have rules that they're working with as they do their day to day work. They've just never exactly written them out. You know, uh, a semi experienced UA campaign manager can look at a set of data and say like, oh, well, I should bid that publisher up. I should block that one. I should bid this one down. But they might not know exactly what logic is is driving that it's just it's feeling it's reps of experience so try to write out your own logic as a set of rules of like you know why did you block this one why did you bid this one up you know um and that's a good place to start and uh then 
uh, once you write those those rules out, you can you know simply download a CSV of data and you know, use that logic to work through the CSV. Um, but the next step is engaging. Hopefully, you have some sort of data science resource uh, or some sort of engineering resource. The next step would be figuring out a way to actually you know, run that process automatically. Um, we've we've done simple versions of this by building like light light Python scripts to run this process for us. Uh, and then one step beyond that is, you know, figuring out a way to use the uh, APIs available by the ad networks or even just to, like, create an automated CSV that you send to your account rep and say, here's your daily bid changes. Please enact these changes. Um, each network is a little unique as far as, like, the technical ability. So so think of the thing, two things as very separate. One, think about your logic and making your logic as good as possible. And you'll get a lot of value from just doing that and distributing it to your team, like getting your most junior level to be using the same logic, your, your most junior level employee to be using the same logic as your most seasoned employee. And then separate from that, think about, okay, how can we streamline this process? How can I make it to where I don't have to even open up the spreadsheet, um, that I don't even have to contact the ad network? And that's, that's once you know that it's working and can actually see the results, that's when I think you should really put a priority on automating that as much as possible. But you don't have to have an engineering resource, and that's what I really want to stress. Like, you can you can right. do a lot with a little here. Right. So as long as you're clear mm-hmm. about codifying what is repeatable, you can then, of course, bringing in the engineering resource is essentially amplifying that codification, if that's a word. Right? Correct. And uh, what do you need to have happen on the channel side to enable all of this, uh, you, you know, do the channels need to have some sort of an API connection? Uh, and, you know, I'm, how do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, we always think of like, okay, what is our, what is our ideal state for the system to work? And then what's our fallback generic strategy that we can apply to a network that has no technical capabilities whatsoever? I mean, I guess the thing that you do need in any situation is a certain level of transparency. Um, luckily, every major rewarded video ad network does at least identify each sub-publisher on the network. Some do not use, you know, English language name. Some use, like, you know, uh, an ID number. That's still fine. You just need to identify each one uniquely. Um, so there's basically two uh, two ends to this this workflow as, as far as, like, the optimal and then the fallback. So optimal is that the networks have like a, a read and write API, which you can be using to write your process directly back to the network. And then the fallback that we adopted was basically just producing uh, automated CSV output that would be emailed to a point of contact that could enact it. And so when we you know, approach any network with this, we say, hey, can we do our desired uh, way of operating? No, we can't, or we can't for a time being because we're waiting for this new feature to roll out. So we'll use the the fallback mechanism of just you know providing a list of bids and sending that to the network. Right. And if you're working with a new network that you don't have a connection with, does that take some non-trivial amount of work to sort of customize your algorithm for the new network, assuming it's the same set of rules? Yeah, so one reason that we have focused in the rewarded video 
area is a lot of that inventory is the same across networks. So right. we haven't found there, there is one actually key area to differentiate. If you're using traditional rewarded video, we haven't found that you actually need to adapt your rules by network. You might need to play with sort of your risk mit- mitigating factors, like the aggression that you're exploring a given network. For example, sure. if network A had a ton of hyper casual inventory and you're buying for a, a mid core game, you might want to have a very cautious exploratory bid. Um, but at the end of the day, the logic that will drive to profitability should be the same amongst all networks. It's just a question of uh, the balancing speed of manicuring the campaign from losing money to profitability, uh, man- balancing that speed with like your your uh, ability to like absorb the bleeding of the learning period. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely does. And speaking of new channels, mm-hmm. would this exact same approach? work for programmatic via perhaps a DSP? Why or why not? Yeah, so think about, you know, we, we mentioned at the beginning of the call that idea that if you just launch without any sort of optimization process in mind in one of these rewarded pools of inventory, you're probably going to lose uh, a lot of money. Um, and this is because of the breadth of, of uh, sub-IDs in the network. Um, now take that and, you know, magnify it by a factor of, you know, another several thousand. Uh, I don't know. It's like several orders of magnitude, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's, that's what you're dealing with when you go into the programmatic space. So, uh, that same way that you have a lot of upfront pain when you start in rewarded video, that's going to just be, you know, that, that much harder when you go into programmatic because there's so much inventory available. So while in theory, like the same approach will work there, it's going to be a lot more bleeding. Um, another reason that we haven't put as much of our efforts in this space is there are more third-party tools available, um, you know, uh, tools like Beeswax that you can use to, you know, uh, implement your own algorithm for, for programmatic inventory. So, yes, you can do it. It's more painful, um, and there, the solutions are a little more advanced uh, on market for that area. Sure, sure. And I imagine it's also a little tricky, trickier on programmatic because yeah. you could certainly – Get the data at the pub ID level, but the really powerful algorithms on programmatic have to happen at the user level. And uh, I imagine that opens up a whole new Pandora's box about user concerns. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that's a good point. And and with us being um, a third party ourselves, you know, we just work with developers. We wanted to make sure that we built a system that wasn't dependent on holding individual user data. Uh, because that's, uh, you know, with all of the current sensitivities around that, we didn't want that to be a liability for, for our company and our partners potentially. Certainly, certainly. But the uh, algorithm you guys have built absolutely does enable you guys to ride the sort of massive ocean of traffic that some of the rewarded video in- inventory presents and significantly mitigate some of the performance risk in there. And I can see how that can be very, very effective. I can see how that is something that all of our listeners can absolutely adopt for their own apps and uh, games. Warren, this has been incredibly instructive. Uh, certainly, I've, le- I've learned just a completely fresh perspective about how to approach what can often seem like a fairly intimidating vast pool of traffic. Uh, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being on the Mobile User Acquisition Show. As we wrap, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your work? Yeah, for sure. So you can find out more about our company, Uptick, 
uh, at uptick.com. It's spelled U-P-P-T-I-C. And, uh, you know, in short, we're a company that helps developers to grow their apps in a very profit-focused way uh, be- between providing both uh, cons- consultation and uh, execution services for actually running all aspects of your growth marketing, as well as providing uh, tech that can be licensed for things such as App Store optimization and uh, campaign optimization. Sure. And we will link to Uptick and your LinkedIn in the show notes uh, along with the transcript. For now, thank you so much for being on the Mobile User Acquisition Show. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.